Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. Today, we're very excited to talk to Sean Gunn, who plays Yandu's first mate, Kraglin, in the biggest superhero movie of the summer, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He's also, perhaps more importantly, at least to me, Kirk Gleason on Gilmore Girls. Can I just say, I had no idea that Kirk had a last name. <laughs> From space pirates to basement dwellers, Sean is a versatile actor. He's also a real nerd about underground rap and math and cats, all of which, of course, we will talk about today on Nerdette. Sean Gunn, welcome to the show. So what is it like to be in the biggest superhero movie of the summer? It's um, trippy. Can I use that word? Yeah, for sure. I'm certainly very proud of the movie, and I'm very glad that it's out because I've been sort of working on it in some way or another for years. But yeah, now that it's out and it's doing so well, it's been very strange. I was just in the UK shooting something. And I was surprised by how many people had seen the movie already everywhere I went. So that's gratifying. So what's the weirdest thing that someone has like yelled at you when they recognize you from the variety of roles that you've played? Oh my gosh. Well, I have had a young woman have me autograph their arm and then tattoo the autograph. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. That's a little intense. Do you keep in touch with that person? <laughs> I do not. She's my <laughs> wife. No, I don't. So it's worth noting that in Guardians of the Galaxy, you also get a unique credit for performing like the body of Rocket, the raccoon, right? Yes. What I do is I basically really get down on my hands and knees, and I play Rocket. Yeah, that's a lot of squatting, right? Yeah. And I play Rocket on set. The story behind that is that my brother James, who wrote and directed both Guardians movies, when he was preparing for the first film, he wanted an actor that he knew and trusted to play Rocket on set so that the other actors weren't looking at a blank space or a tennis ball or just hearing a disembodied voice from, you know, the the AD reading lines off camera. He wanted someone to really sort of embody the character. So he asked me to do it, but we didn't know how we were going to, we didn't know what the process was going to be. And uh, we started rehearsals and I just squatted down and started doing it. And that's what worked best. (laughs) And so now, now I'm several movies into it. I did it for a second movie and I'm currently doing it on the next to Avengers movies, which is what I'm shooting for the better part of this year. So it's become a very, uh, an unusual job, not not a job that I ever would have predicted in my career, but I love it. It's funny because that was actually my next question is like, if someone had told you 15 or 20 years ago that this is what you would end up doing, how would you have reacted to that? I, I don't know. I, I would be surprised because it's not my face or my voice that ends up in the movie. So as someone who's been a performer my whole life, that's a little strange. That said, I always really just wanted to sort of 
My goal was always to make a living as an actor and nothing more. I knew how hard that would be. And I figured if I could do that, that I would be pretty happy. And so the fact that it's good, steady work, I love. And, uh, and I love being there for the other actors, too. It's really cool being able to sort of give something where it makes their job easier because I'm there. I, I uh, get a lot of gratification from that. Yeah, I think we could call it a win. It seems like it's pretty perfect, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that your brother is the writer and director of these films. What is it like to work with a sibling on set? Well, it helps that he's very good at his job. Sure. Um, <laughs> he's this so. idiot. <laughs> yeah, I think um, th- the truth is that there's no one I'd rather work with than him because we just know how to communicate with one another so well. We have such a long history. We've been working together in one capacity or another since we were kids. So when we're, when we're together on set, I have a pretty good sense for uh, when he's happy and when he isn't. We have a very good shorthand for how to get to where we need to get with a scene pretty quickly. And I like working with him a lot. And, and yeah, he, uh, he messes with me a little bit sometimes, but that's to be expected. So what are some examples of the shorthand? Like, what does that look like? Well, he can say something like, uh, hey, this time, do it like our cousin Chuck. (laughs) And I know exactly what he means. So pretty much you guys would be really good at taboo together. Yeah, right. Exactly. One thing I really loved about Guardians of the Galaxy, well, I loved a lot of things about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but I was really fascinated by Baby Groot. Yeah. Who I thought was like maybe going to be like kind of the lamest character. Like it felt just seeing the promo, like, oh, maybe this is going to be the most boring character. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, literally the only thing he ever says is, I am Groot. And he's like a weird little baby for some reason now. But he turned out to be so adorable and like exceptionally personified for like such a weird creature. He is absurdly cute. And yeah, and I think that the danger with baby Groot is that you might think, oh, this is a, you know, pandering. This is a marketing right, you know, right. strategy or something like that. But I know I know from talking to my brother and I know from working on the movie that that is not how the character came about at all. The character really developed out of this idea that the second movie is about maintaining a family. Mm-hmm. And so to have a young member of that family who needs care really helps the story a lot. We get to sort of see each of the members of the Guardians take turns caring for him while they're doing all the crazy intergalactic fighting that they're doing. We get to see how they interact with baby Groot. And I think it's a really nice glue for the family element of, uh, of Guardians. Totally. Was there a stand-in for baby Groot also? Like his, his movements were so exceptionally childlike for being an animated creature. Usually when we shoot those scenes, we're, we're looking at an empty space. Yeah. There is a, a stand-in for Groot that looks kind of exactly like Baby Groot. It's just Aww. like a little doll of him that they put in when they're lighting and, and stuff. But usually there's either just a stick with a light on it or it's an, an empty space. I know that as far as his movements go, my brother himself, I know, does the dancing. Really? Yeah, he does. So they, so they, they do mocap on him dancing and they, they use his movements for the dancing. I don't know if he does any of the other movements for Groot. Well, that dancing in the first kind of opening scene is so much fun to watch. I know. That's hilarious to think that that's James Scott. I love it. 
After the break, Greta talks with Sean Gunn about the many jobs he had to take on as Kirk in Gilmore Girls. How many jobs can you name, Trisha, that he's done? Well, he worked at the Black, White, and Red movie theater. He worked for Taylor doing a lot of weird things. Oh, yeah. Always helping set up the fairs and festivals. Uh-huh. He was a male guy, a DSL uh-huh. guy. He had a line of skincare products yes. made of hay called Oh Hay or something like that. Which was his own not affiliated with Uber car. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, so we have to talk about your role as Kirk on Gilmore Girls. The first thing I have to know, do you know how many jobs Kirk had? Somebody out there does. (laughs) It depends on how you count. It's like, do you count based on what you actually saw him do? Or do you also count jobs that he has mentioned that he has when he's on the show? Because they're two different numbers. Right. I think the one number of how many we actually saw is in the 50s or something. And then the number that he mentions... Is like a hundred more. Yeah, or there's got to like be at least a hundred, right? Yeah, but there are super fans out there who will be more than happy to uh, to go into great detail about exactly how many jobs Kirk has. Because I've met them. Because <laughs> I've met them. <laughs> <laughs> They've tattooed your signature on their yeah, bodies. Right. right. <laughs> are there any jobs that Kirk had that you thought like, oh, I might actually be kind of good at that? I always say. The hockey announcer. Nicholas <laughs> Stars Hollow, are you ready to rumble? Then let's get it on. Number 12 has it now. He's skating. He's skating. My bet is he's going to try to whack it into that next thing, even if that's conjecture at this point. Now it's going the other way, and they're hitting it between them. Number seven has it. Now number three. Now seven, three again. He's the announcer at the hockey game, and that was my favorite job because it's something I feel like I could have maybe done, you know, in another life because I like sports, and I think I could have been a good sports announcer if I if that had been my passion. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked about it was that I got to sit down the whole time on set <laughs> when we were shooting, and I'm a little bit lazy. So when I just have a scene where it's like, okay, all you got to do is sit there, we put the camera on you, and you get to, you know, be funny, that's a pretty sweet gig. So it's worth noting that the story of Kirk's character is kind of great, too, right? Because he wasn't meant to be a recurring role at all. That's true. I auditioned for the role of DSL installer, which both ages the show and (laughs) myself. (laughs) Because there was only about a two-year pocket where that was even a thing, I think. And so I was cast in that job. I thought it was just going to be a one-time deal. I didn't know this at the time. But what I learned years later was that um, was that I'd done the first episode that I did. And then the following episode, I think, one or two episodes later, there was another character who was a uh, delivery guy. 
And Amy Sherman Palladino, the creator of the show, said to the casting directors, get me a guy like that guy who played the DSL installer. And that Jamie Rudofsky, who I will forever be indebted to, who was um, one of the two great casting directors for Gilmore Girls, she and Mark Casey did an amazing job. But um, Jamie said to her, why don't we just cast that guy again? (laughs) And I guess Amy thought about it and thought it was a pretty funny idea and brought me back and then just kept bringing me back. From my perspective, it was weird because I didn't know I didn't know that I was going to keep going back and I didn't know that I didn't know if I was playing the same character or if he was a different guy or what was going on, but I just accepted the job and showed up for work. And I thought every episode I did would be my last one. I thought it was a, a joke that was going to wear thin and I'd be off the show, but after, you know, a couple dozen episodes the first two seasons, then I I realized at some point that I was sort of there to stay. Absolutely. And you had some of the best bits. We actually have a little clip we'll listen to. This is Human Kirk talking with Lorelai about his new cat, who he has also for some reason named Kirk. Oh, hey, Kirk. Doing your holiday shopping? Well, shopping, yes, and it is a holiday, but my shopping isn't holiday-related, so technically no. (laughs) Oh, what happened there? Oh, nothing, just a little scratch. Looks like a big scratch. Wow, Bactine, Neosporin, Mercurochrome, what's with all the pharmacologicals? Oh, well, Kirk and I are going through a little adjustment period, that's all. Cat Kirk? It's no biggie, and this looks a lot worse than it is. Yeah, I can see that. So how'd it happen? You're playing or something? We haven't actually played yet. This happened when I accidentally walked into the room without announcing myself. Excuse me? I've discovered Kirk likes my presence announced before I enter any room that he's in. You have to announce yourself? Yeah, just a quick, is it okay if I come in from the adjacent room? Otherwise he gets a little testy. Hence the scratch. Just a small laceration. Again, no biggie. (laughs) Kirk, no biggie. Oh, I have to say that is one of my favorite bits in the entire series, partly because I have a cat who is a total monster. And while he does not have my name, he does have a somewhat human name. He is Seth and he is the worst. Seth is his name? (laughs) Yes, Seth. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes as well, because as I think you know, I'm a cat guy. I, I love cats. I'm active in cat rescue and all these kind of things. And every time I post a picture on Instagram, there's, you know, a hundred comments about how it's Cat Kirk. Of one of my cats, I mean, of me with (laughs) a cat, which is fairly often. Do you have any cats named Kirk? That would be pretty hilarious now. I do not. I think that might be a little too close to home. More about cats and other little-known Sean Gunn nerderies after the break. You're listening to Nerdette. So you mentioned Cat Rescue. What's the deal? How did you get into this? I mostly got... It's weird because I grew up thinking that I was a dog person. I've always loved animals, but we had dogs growing up. And it wasn't until I got a cat when I was in college that I loved a great deal. And then I got a cat about seven years ago. Not about, almost exactly seven years ago because he turned seven yesterday, actually. Um, And his name is The Business. And Do you call him The Biz for short? Yeah, Busy. Busy or The Biz. And he was only 10 days old. And I, with my girlfriend at the time, we bottle fed him. And through that, really, I learned to love that process. And then I started to get a little bit more active in learning about the rescue where he came from and learned that I sort of had this knack for bottle feeding kittens 
and just sort of understanding cats in general. I feel like cats chose me. I sort of understand how they think a lot of times. And I think that I, that as a result, I want to try to be an ambassador for homeless animals as much as I can. I think we have a special responsibility for animals that have been domesticated to take care of them because they need human beings to live. And so we should take care of as many as we can. So uh, I do my part there. But I've done a lot of actual hands-on rescue. I've battle-fed a bunch of kittens now. And uh, it's really, really time-consuming work. Because when, they, when they're very, very little, they generally need to be fed, you know, as much as every two hours. So even overnight, too. Yeah, right. Usually overnight. Um, once you're over a month old, you can probably feed them every three to four hours, but then leave a, a six-hour window at one point where, you, you know, you try to get a little more sleep in the middle of the night. But it's pretty much constant care. It's very difficult to do with one person, although there's a lot of maniacs out there who are who are like the greatest animal rescue people who do it by themselves who who raise some of these animals and and keep them alive who have the biggest hearts yes and it, it's super rewarding you just watch them grow up and you get to see their personalities come out it's cool i don't know why i feel such an affinity towards it but i do do you think cats get a bad rap? Like you mentioned that you grew up thinking you were a dog person. I feel like mm-hmm. there's so much out there about how like a dog is man's best friend and the cat is like the jerk roommate, you know? Yeah, I do. I think that a lot of it is just people are not thoroughly educated about why their cats behave the way that they behave. Mm. And I think that a lot of cat behavior can be looked at as being jerky when It's really just there's something that you're not listening to maybe about what the animal needs that he or she isn't getting. I honestly think the best pet in the world is two bonded cats. Mm. You know, if you get two cats that have already bonded with one another, they can be siblings, they could be a, a mother and child, but once they bond, they will be bonded for life and they're super sweet and affectionate, but they're also pretty low maintenance because they don't get upset when you leave them for long periods of time. Yeah. And they can keep each other company and keep each other warm when they want to and and all these kind of things. Um, totally. So how many cats do you have? Well, that's hard to say exactly. I really only have like three right now. One lives outside. Oh, cool. He's a feral cat that I trapped and neutered and got him some health care. He's, he's very old. He's tough cat. He's been, he, he lived by himself on the street for a long time. So you can tell he had to, he had to do a lot of fighting and foraging and he's, he's actually very, very sweet. What's his name? Uh, his name is Goon. Goon. <laughs> and, uh, he's, you know, what's awesome about Goon is he's got a little prison tier. Oh. You know how you get those prison tiers? If you, I think it's, if you kill somebody in prison, they give you a, a little tattoo. Uh-huh. He's an all black cat with just a tiny white teardrop marking under one of his eyes, which I really, I really enjoy. Yeah. And so there's him and then there's Gladys. Gladys is a cat I've had for a long time. Mostly I have the business. There were a couple of other cats that I took care of, but when my ex and I split up, they went with her. So, so I have uh, step cats as well out there in the world. Do you have step cat visitation rights? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's all we... That part is important. You can't take someone away from the cats forever. Oh, yeah. No, that's important. I actually lived with my co-host, Trisha, for a while. And I have a cat and a corgi. 
And she's not as excited about the cat, but with the corgi, she was definitely like, listen, I need visitation once we're not living together. (laughs) And that is definitely a thing that has to happen because it's important, you know? Yeah, I agree. So when we sent your publicist an email asking what it is that you're nerdy about, she forwarded an email that you wrote in response that I think is one of my favorite emails that Nerdette has ever (laughs) received. Can I read Uh-oh. you just like two sentences out of it? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Rappers and cats. That's pretty much what I bring to the table. Unless they want to talk about propositional calculus or other forms of abstract mathematics. Like, Sean Gunn, who are you? <laughs> uh, it's funny that this comes up because this is something that I've never talked about in, in an interview. Why would I? <laughs> good, good. But um, I actually finished all of my college math requirements when I was 14. Wow. It's funny because we were wondering, like, is he serious? Because, you know, having gone to theater school, like math doesn't really play into the conservatory necessarily. It was a very strange thing because I sort of had this choice at that point in my life where I could have or maybe should have, who knows, depending on what people said, I could have gone on to be a mathematician or an engineer or something like that. But I always wanted to be an actor anyway. Math always felt sort of like a hobby to me. And I, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, what I was really good at when I was doing it was the study of axiomatic systems, analysis of how they work. I won't, I won't, go, I won't get into it. That's but. amazing. For being a journalist, I took Calc 2 in college. So like among my journalism people, that's super impressive, right? Because in general, especially mm-hmm. with radio journalism, it's like, oh, numbers. No, I don't have to know numbers. And I, I can't even imagine how much more the case is like that for you, right? Having done all this crazy math in theater and in acting now, like how often are people just like, wait, what can you do? Axiom what? Yeah, people freak out on it. Really, they're like, wait, you're uh, like, uh, how is, uh, I think people can't quite wrap their heads around it. Sometimes I can't. And I still, it's funny, I still occasionally read mathematical textbooks and stuff just for pleasure. That's interesting because, yeah, I mean, I think about like having learned to speak French and how much I miss using that part of my brain now. You know, so there Mm -hmm. are ways that you still like try to engage your math brain, even though you're not using it every day. For sure. You use your math brain all the time. I think that education is so sort of wonky in this country. It's like a lot of it, I think, is just wrongheaded. And so a lot of people grow up thinking, oh, I'm not good at math because they're not good at computation. Whereas math is so much larger than than just computation. And I think that's why I had a facility for it when I was younger is that I sort of innately understood that. Even when I was a kid, I was like, well, it's not really about the numbers. It's it's more about the concepts that hold the numbers together. But we do a really bad job of teaching that. Yeah, we were just interviewing an astronomer the other day, and she used this phrase that I thought was really interesting that um, the the public school system especially, but just in general, we tend to educate the curiosity out of people. Yeah. So you also mentioned that you're really into the art of being an MC. What does that even mean to you? Sean yes. Gunn? Well, a lot of times I'll say hip hop music, but hip hop music is pretty broad. What I really love is rap music and rappers. And I uh, really, when you ask the question, what do you geek out on more than anything else? Mm-hmm. For me, it's rap music. I have gone back and studied not just the history of rapping, but I've listened to almost every rap album that I can, particularly from like the mid 90s earlier. So what for you are like the standout albums? Oh, gosh, I could go on and on (laughs) with this. Um, If I were to make bullet points, I think that 
rap music really had a quantum leap in 1988. Straight Outta Compton came out mm. and uh, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick and Ultramagnetic MCs, Critical Beatdown and Lyrics of Fury, uh, Eric B. and Rakim. And there's all these great albums from right then. And then there was another sort of big jump around 93 when like Wu-Tang came out and then mm-hmm. Nas came out in 94. But there's a lot of underground stuff that I think is super important in terms of the history of the uh, art of rapping. These rappers that are very, very, I won't say obscure, but they're not well known by the mainstream. People like Lord Finesse and Big L in the mid-90s and... Uh, just all sorts of things. But I, um, I'm fascinated by a voice over a beat. Hmm. I also really love like old folk music and old country music for a similar reason. My favorite instrument in the world is the human voice. Hmm. And so you have a storyteller telling a story with their voice over, you know, it could be a country singer, you know, it could be Merle Haggard doing it with a guitar or, uh, you know, the great folk singer Odetta doing it with a guitar, but then skip to when hip-hop music became big, and now you've got Nas doing it over a beat, or anybody telling a story over a simple beat. And I'm fascinated by the dance. I really look at the way an MC raps is like, it's like he or she is waltzing with the beat. <laughs> I think one thing that's so cool about it, too, is that it's not only storytelling, but it's also, at its most essential level, poetry. Yes, Absolutely. And the best are so are great at everything. There's some rappers who, who really just, I mean, they tell great stories, but their flow is magnificent. They can even almost sing a little bit, you know, and that there's a musicality to mm-hmm. their flow. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm way into it. So have you ever tried your hand at it? You know, I had some very clumsy, <laughs> I had some very clumsy attempts at writing some lyrics. And I think that I realized they weren't terrible, but it's, it's one of those things that you just realize how much work it takes to be great. Totally. I just knew, like, I don't have what it takes to be great. So my place here is to be a historian and learn as much as I can about the history so that I have that knowledge and I can bring it to other people. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have one more question for you, which is, what homework would you like to assign our Nerdette listeners? Um, there's a book by Alan Wiseman called the world without us. And it's a thought experiment about what would happen to the planet if all the people spontaneously disappeared. And Wiseman is not a, he's not a scientist himself, but he's a journalist who interviews scientists. So it's all, it's all from a scientific perspective. There's no, you know, it's a lot of it's conjecture, sure, but it's based on pretty sound theory. And it gives you this weird sense for what human beings have done to the planet Earth since we've been here and sort of the footprint that we've left. I think that it's a good way to re-examine your relationship with the planet that we live on in a way that's not super polemic, I guess I would say, that it's not like trying to necessarily convince you of anything or be environmentalist in any way or anti-environmentalist. It's just take a step back and look at what we've done to the planet. I think it's a good thing for every person to read. That is excellent homework. Sean Gunn, thank you so much for coming on your day. <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I feel like we could have talked for another hour or so, but this was super fun. I know. I do feel, you know, I got to say you're great at your job because I feel like a total nerd right now. 
I feel like you and Sean were in your little bubble of people who like cats. Mm. And I should just say, for the record, <laughs> that I don't think cats are misunderstood. I think they're jerks. <laughs> Come at me, Internet. Cats are the worst. I think the Internet would probably agree with you generally. No, the Internet loves cats. I suppose You know why the internet loves cats and the rest of us love dogs? Oh, no. Why? Because people who like dogs get to go outside with their dogs, so they're not on the internet all the time. <laughs> Whatever. You like the internet more than I do. That's true. I do like the internet more than I like outside. And I'm the one with the dog. You have a dog. I don't like outside as much as I like the internet. These are all true things. But your cat is mean to me. It's also worth noting that those are three of the best cat names I've ever heard. Let's Between recap. Goon and Gladys and the Business. Goon, Gladys, and the Business. <laughs> are really great names for cats. They're excellent. It kind of reminds me of a lovely corgi I met the other day who was named Pepperoni, and they would call her Roni for short, which oh, is that's nice. my favorite thing. My nephews and I decided mm. that we should get a dog for Greta for her birthday, since we aren't allowed to have dogs currently, but you are. And because I don't have enough pets as it is. So we were going to get you a corgi puppy and name it Lynn Waffles Miranda. <laughs> Waffles for short. Alternate names were Rocket, Ooh. Biscuit, uh huh, which are also good dog names. Yeah, those are good dog names. Yeah. I think also Pasta. As a name for a dog? Yeah. You don't think so? No. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Candice Mattel. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our intern is Brady Guy. Brady Guy is a pretty good name for a dog. <laughs> Is that terrible to say it's about an intern? A better name for a human. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It's also super helpful if you leave us some stars in Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Alternate 411 and RT Try for the awesome reviews. I like to think it's Alternate 411. Yeah, that's possible. That's which makes possible. me think it's like alternative facts, unfortunately. Because oh. 411 is what you call to get facts, right? Yeah. yeah. Also, RT was the whole username? No, RT Try. Oh, RT Try. They're just listed as separate words on this page. Mm. That sounds like a good MC name. RT Try. Yeah, that is pretty good. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Nerd at Podcast, wherever you're interneting. And our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Damn it, pasta! Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.